just when you thought you were out, we pull you back in. This is And Justice for Al, the preeminent Al Pacino podcast, brought to you by InRealDeep.com. I'm Steve Semino, and with us, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Shouldn't you say that preeminent Al Pacino podcast in English? I mean, we don't know. There could be Italian Al Pacino <laughs> podcasts. Sure. Or... I thought you were going to drop an Irish, uh, one of those great Irishman quotes on oh, me, but instead you're oh, just talking about, you're quibbling about uh, language choices. I, I am, I am. I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> For a meeting? Anywhere. Florida, Timbuktu. I always wear a suit. <laughs> I think the best scene in the entire movie is the scene in which that quote you just shared came from. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm so excited to talk about it. We are back on Injustice for Al. It has been almost two years since we've done an official episode of this mini series going through the life and times of Alfredo Pacino. It has been a long time coming. And we are back on the best possible terms. We are back for the ultimate movie. The and I think Andrew described it as the the apex of the In Real Deep podcast, of podcasting in general, and certainly of the three of us on this episode. It is unbelievable. It is exciting. We've been talking about it for months, and we're finally here. And we would not be able to do it without Andrew, and of course without our special guest on these episodes, Tom. Hello, Tom. Hey, how's it going? Good to be here, guys. It's good to have you. It's actually, I actually am happy to have you here because I think we may oh. find common ground here. I think this is not going to be a feud and a fussing episode. I think this is going to be a love fest. I mean, we'll see. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to yeah. find a lot of common ground in discussing this movie. Pride cometh before the fall, Steve. <laughs> All right, before we get too far into the Irishman, which is what we're talking about today, does everyone have a beverage? Does everyone have anything that is thematically appropriate? I just have a lovely gin and tonic. I know they drink a – I should have had a red wine because red wine is really thematically appropriate for this film, but I did not have any, and I hope that Pacino and De Niro and Marty can forgive me. Yeah, I'm just drinking an elderflower tonic without any booze in it because of my whole uh, not drinking during the week thing right now, so – yeah, nice. I'm having a an IPA, which of course stands for an Irish pale ale. <laughs> hey. huh? That's pretty good. That's the bet you win, sort of by default, but it's a win nonetheless. Uh, there's another great quote in this movie about beer, which is, "You go from point A to point B, you spill a little beer along the way." So. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of great quotes in this movie. I will say, I was talking to my friend about this movie out at a bar a few weeks ago, and one of his complaints at the time was he liked it, but there weren't a lot of memorable quotes. And foolishly, I agreed with him. And then I got home and I mentioned that to my brother. And my brother's like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's like 10 great quotes. Like (laughs) maybe you don't remember them all. Maybe they haven't entered the lexicon just yet, but they are, there's tons and tons of wonderful lines in this movie. And I was extremely ashamed and chastised for my dumb, wrong opinion. Yeah. That's a bad opinion. It also takes time for like uh, for a movie for you to really know how quotable a movie is, like, especially when it is two hundred nine minutes long. Right. You, you are justified in forgetting a line or two. I think as, right. as we plow through this. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. we are here to talk about the Irishman. It's clear as day. It's out. It's been out for quite a while. Been on Netflix for months now. It was in theaters at least where I live in Los Angeles and a few other cities. And it is somewhat of a phenomenon. I would say given what this film is, which is four 70-year-old men making a movie, it's about as phenomenon-y as it could get. It was a big deal. It just got nominated for 10 Oscars. And 
I, I will say, before we get too deep into the movie, I'd like to talk about the release strategy a little bit. I don't know what you guys think, but I can't help but you know, tip my cap to Netflix on this one and to Scorsese and to everyone involved in this film. I think if it had come out in theaters, it would have been a big deal. But I think, you know, putting it out on Netflix, for, for whatever reason, it might just be right time, right place. But I feel like a movie like this, maybe at the time they released it, the year they put it out, I feel like it really hit home and everyone was talking about it. Everyone I know watched it, at least part of it. And I feel like it really hit in a way that it might not have had it gone through a regular, traditional theatrical release. I think it was released the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, too, which is just very smart timing. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out, but releasing a movie like, especially like a long movie like this, when people are going to be spending time with their families is like super smart. So, And for people who don't want to spend any time with their families, it's a perfect excuse to go and disappear for four hours. Right, right, right. <laughs> Works and obviously forever. a wonderful dad movie so if you're with your father and you don't feel like having you know mature conversations about life and love and all that you can just pop on the irishman and not talk for three hours so yeah well why didn't my kids throw it on the day it came out <laughs> daddy you should have been just like robert De Niro's character. <laughs> daddy do you paint houses for a living <laughs> so how many sittings the first i saw this in theaters the first time and i got through it obviously in one sitting what about your guys experiences how many times did it take how many times did you pop down and turn this on before you got it done did you have to like take a pee break and then i did not like, none i was with my brother and his wow. fiance and none of us peed the entire time that's amazing we were but so you... i turned to my brother halfway through the movie and i said this is the best movie of all time Are and... you guys like desiccated dehydrated husk going <laughs> yeah. to the theater? i was just so i loved it so much i couldn't spare what if i peed and missed something amazing how would i be able to live with myself well you could just watch it four more times like you did anyway <laughs> that, true i guess but it was it felt right at the time uh yeah i watched it in two sittings i tried i, I started it at like eight o'clock which in my life with two small kids is like that's literally like the earliest i can start a movie um and uh I, there just was no chance I was going to make it through. Like, I just, uh, I, I don't know. As a, as okay, a, you as don't a, have to, yeah, don't well, have to be apologetic. Yeah. I'm, you know, it's, it's, that's perfectly understandable. It's a long-ass movie. It's crazy long. Well, I often say I'm like a shark. If I stop moving in the evenings, I just sink to the bottom of the ocean and fall asleep. So the fact that I was able to make it through, like, basically two hours the first night was, um, that was sort of my outer limit. And it, it wasn't the... the the heart was willing, you know, but the body, <laughs> body wasn't. Anyway, so it took me two settings. Over two nights, back to back. Well, and as someone with uh, no kids and fewer <laughs> responsibilities, uh, I decided to do it in four sittings. <laughs> seemed, uh, seemed right. Four nights in a row over the Thanksgiving weekend. Oh, that's great. And I will say, you know, I, I think we're all on this episode purists to a certain extent. We'd love to watch a movie from start to finish. You know, yeah. sitting down and taking it all in. But something like this, as good as much as I love this movie, and we'll get into that at the end. But as, as enjoyable as I thought this was, it is a good, it's a good movie to take pauses during. Like it's you know, given the length in particular, but also you know, it's just it doesn't have this endless propulsive narrative where you like are on the edge of your seat and you need and you can't possibly turn it off. You know, like as great as it is, there are plenty of moments where you can pause or take a breather and come yeah. back and really, I don't think lose too much of a beat at all. Yeah, I agree. It's very vignette, like vignette-esque, vignette-esque, is that even a word? Yeah, it's it's just, it, it is a series of vignettes that, I mean, I, I would like to try and watch it in one sitting, I just don't know when that's going to happen, probably not anytime soon, but, yeah. 
Well, let's talk about, before we get into everything involving this episode, I think we have to talk about the namesake of this podcast. We have to talk about Al Pacino. 2019 was a very big year for Mr. Pacino. Last time you heard Tom was on the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode, where we all sung his praises. We're very, you know, we're very excited about his performance. We all tipped our caps to him and said, great work. You know, we like you. And in The Irishman, wow, this is, you know, some heavy lifting for Al Pacino. This is the meatiest role he's had in a while, and certainly the biggest role he's had in, in decades where he's been forced to play a legitimate other character, you know? I think one of, not to put words in Tom's mouth, but I will say one of the complaints that I usually hear is just like, especially over the last little while, he's just playing a loud, angry, shitty Al Pacino. And like, there's Paterno, and there's some HBO movies where he certainly does that as well, but in terms of a big, giant release with actually a lot of eyes on it, this is, you know, this is Al's biggest character in a while, and I was really, really impressed by his performance. I think it's, you know, it's gotten accoladed, it's gotten showered with praise, and I think it's all 100% justified. It's, it's really great. Uh, well, I mean, I feel like I should just let Tom talk now. And I, I'll just, I'll be the voice of reason in the middle somewhere, but... Um, you know, I, I'm, this is going to be, as, <laughs> it's not going to be as negative as you think it's going to be. <laughs> I think it was a memorable and interesting performance. Um, was he playing Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> Do we know though? Like, he he, I don't think any of us are really familiar with the man himself. You know, maybe, maybe that's kind of. Uh, he had a weird haircut. He wore interesting suits. He had a. He had a. He was doing a voice. I don't know if it was the voice, but it was a voice. I mean, so what? What? What seems like happened is it's like Martin Scorsese is like, all right, I want you to play Jimmy Hoffa, and Al Pacino's like, great. Uh, I'm just going to play a character that I'm just going to make up, and it's going to be great. <laughs> and Chris is like, that sounds great. It doesn't matter if it's Jimmy Hoffa. You and think that's Marty t- runs that loose of a ship that he's just letting like, <laughs> off the reservation like that? You know, it, that's what it seemed like. I'm not saying it was even – I think it was a good performance. I just – it just seemed like he just picked a character to make up. I mean, I, I think it's a fair question, and I have no, I have no authority to speak on – whether how how his performance compares to the real life Jimmy Hoffa, I guess we need to get like a seventy year old on the podcast <laughs> to give us some idea. But we all have I, guys that we know because they they should get on the on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I like I have no idea how, like how to answer that question. I think you can. I mean, maybe this is like a Rorschach test. <laughs> like, like to a degree um it certainly i i can certainly it certainly seems like al is just doing al things uh with some some more focus than usual and definitely more focused than like say a uh, danny i'm Collins. gonna get mad at you now too uh, this is this is, you're you're, the, you're getting the maddest at you so far well i have no idea if if what jimmy hoffa was actually like in real life i guess i should go watch some youtube or we should have done that before we got on here um i mean i guess i would say now you're gonna get mad, Steve. I think it. I think it is a good performance, but I think of like the three leads in this movie. I think it's like the the third. The, I would rank it the third best performance um, by by quite a distance. Which you know maybe isn't that, that's that's more to me about how good De Niro and Pesci, especially Pesci, uh, are in this movie. Um, so you know, I don't know. Um, and if, you, I, if anyone goes to In Real Deep and read my review a few months ago, 
they would probably be like, well, Steve, what are you talking about? Because like, I said pretty much exactly what you're saying, Andrew, when I wrote the review. When I first walked out, I was like, man, there's one scene in particular that everyone probably remembers. It's the scene where Hoffa is, I believe, just getting in trouble with the federal government the first time, and Al is having like a classic Al freakout. Uh-huh. Like he's banging on the desk, he's yelling, like he's sort of stuttering, he's pausing a lot. And it's it's a horrible scene. It's probably the worst scene in the movie. Like it's just <laughs> it's embarrassing. It just summons all the memories I have and probably everyone has of the bad Pacino performances of the last two decades where he is just untethered and going nuts and it's kind of fun but it's also like you're so old man and I'm not sure if this is acting I think you might just be having a fit and it was really really bad and when I walked out of the totally agree just want to cut you off right there (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean you should agree because I still agree I've seen it several times and I still think it was not a good scene but when I saw it again and when I thought about it more I and like when I when I didn't let that cloud my... And that's pretty early in the movie, and I think that's part of the trouble is you get that in your head in the first 30 minutes, and then you got three more hours to go, and all you can remember is that Al laid a stinker on you right at the start. But if you mm-hmm. watch the rest of the movie, I think they're like... So much of the movie is Pacino and De Niro in their pajamas in their hotel room having <laughs> these like intimate old man conversations about politics and killing people and the trials and tribulations of being a teamster. Like, I think there's just so much Al is doing in this movie that he does not done in a, a very long time. And I was able the second and third time to sort of ignore my, my thoughts on, on that one horrible scene where for whatever reason, Marty did let him just sort of go nuts and, and take it in a little more. And I, I think Al Pacino is great in this movie. I think he is tremendous. I think there is a sadness and a weirdness and he is the, the most quotable person in the movie. I think that he just, I think he has, like, I, I don't, I'm not saying he's recaptured the Pacino of old that we've talked about in this podcast that we all actually do like in tandem, but I think he really, he brought his A game for probably what's the last time in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. And I think you're, you're probably right. I mean, I, I, I definitely want to get back to watching this again. Um, I do think like, I mean, you without getting into the movie itself, like there is a, a profound sadness coursing through this entire film. And um, that is not really possible. That That is not really possible or wouldn't come through as strongly without Pacino's performance. Um, especially, you know, I'd say like, especially at the end, like I, I'm thinking of like, well, when he's picked up in the car to, you know, basically go get whacked. And then, you know, even like the, the weird phone call that he sort of has from his like lake house in Michigan and stuff like that. Um, there is definitely there. There are layers to the performance, which I think is definitely, you know, something that uh, we, having gone through a lot of Al movies, we haven't always seen, right? So um, yeah. he he's very very good, um, and and you know, like I, I guess to give him a little, you know, to to give him a little credit, uh, even though I said you know he's the third of the three big roles, like in some ways he has probably the toughest job, right? Like. Um, like Jimmy Hoffa is a, a real famous person. Um, and he's like, you know, Pesci's performance is great, but he, you know, he's, he's playing someone who's outside of the, the mob, right? Like uh, Jimmy Hoffa is. So like um, there's, there has to be more of this, this more of these layers and, and, and sort of confusion and stuff like that. And um, so I think, I think you're right. Like he, he maybe has the toughest job, of the of the three big roles um 
and and so you know and he does a great job you're right he's 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 very good yeah i mean i think that all makes sense i can also say just like slightly shifting gears is that maybe a charitable description of his performance of hoffa is that it doesn't really matter if that is truly what hoffa was like because i think right what kind of seeps through the entire movie is how people remember things, whether that is at all what happened or, mm-hmm. and I mean, just, just the way that it kind of casually, um, you know, maybe doesn't endorse, but pays lip service to pretty notable conspiracy theories when it comes to JFK's assassination and things like that. I think there's like an element that some of the things in the movie, it isn't, it isn't, need to or intend to be realistic right and yeah. i do yeah. think that he plays a good uh character and a good job at someone that would have mattered to someone that then killed him <laughs> right right <laughs> i have two thoughts on that i think that's a really good point and i think the first thing i think of when you said that is I feel like your enjoyment of this movie, whether you think it is a well-made piece of entertainment or whether you truly love it, depends on how much you like the four men who made the movie, you know, the three lead actors and Martin Scorsese. Because I think if you, like me, love all three of those and like Marty's movies, the entire time, like, just seeing them all in a rack, seeing Al and, and, and De Niro in the same room, like, seeing just everything come, the, the one scene where Pesci and Pacino talk, like, I was just loving all of that just as a fan of their entire careers, you know? So I think there's an element of, like, I was, you know, I was more forgiving, certainly because I like Al Pacino, but also, like, I was just so caught up in the excitement of everything. And, like, you know, compared to, like, a, a Righteous Kill, which was an abomination that brought De Niro and Pacino together, this was, like, a joyful, well-done, expertly made bringing together of all these people. And so that just made me happy just that it was clearing that baseline and being, you know, very, very well done. But I think to your second point, Tom, what's great about this movie is there is, like, there is a lot of thematic elements to it that I think make it deeper than you would think if you were just casually watching it. Like, I think this is really, like you said, it's a movie, it's a movie entirely from, not entirely, not explicitly from Frank Sheeran, Robert De Niro's character's perspective, but essentially it's telling his story. So it is basically from his, and like, I guess he is literally telling his story for a chunk of the movie too, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, but it's, it's entirely from his, it's, it's his story told his way. So there is a sort of unspoken element of like, this is just how he remembers it or how he's telling it. And I think it also really delves into it, like the, the full lifespan of, of, shitty people of mobsters of crooks <clears throat> of troublemakers of that's like i think more than anything scorsese has ever done it really shows you the whole side of that so there's sort of like you said andrew there's like a sadness to it there's a there's a quiet and an uncomfortableness to a lot of it like there's some fun in the beginning and i say once you get to the halfway point the fun is pretty much gone and it becomes like how are they going to play out the string how are they going to betray each other how are they going to just suffer and slowly die or quickly die like it just the tone really subtly moves the entire time and i think that's something that al captures and really all three of them capture really well is that they fully understand this is meant to be a really sort of grand overarching story of, of, a, of a life told from this one you know untrustworthy individual yeah, and it's like it's also like uh, the you know uh, this is a great point that Tom made and you're you're building upon, but like the 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 idea of of memory and and memory not being reliable, you know, that's got to be why you know Scorsese chose to put the 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 title you know 
the titles up on screen for when the people he's referring to actually like when they died and how horribly they died. Right. Um, it, it's, it's very like tempting also. And I know you're not, you're not doing this Steve, but it's very tempting to be like, Oh, this is the last time all these guys are going to be together. Probably. It's probably the last movie that Scorsese is going to make like this. Um, and, I, but I don't like, I, I think this movie is legitimately great independent of like when it's made in the context of these guys, you know, being in the sort of twilight of their, their careers. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that's just so strong about it is just, it, it, it is in dialogue with previous uh, Scorsese mobster films, like clearly through throughout, you know, I mean, like especially Goodfellas, but, but, a number of his other films, Casino too. Um, really, the entire genre. At one point, they're eating yeah. dinner in, in the Italian restaurant. And the Godfather theme is playing behind them. Right, right, right. Which is right. like not possible so, at that time because the Godfather was not made at that point. Right, but like, right. they did it anyway. It was great. So it's it's like in dialogue with that, but it also has like its own things, own things to say. So I think of just about generally about sort of aging and um, and like being the. I mean, in some ways, Frank Sheeran is like the last guy left standing, right? And he's like, he's kind of like telling this bullshit story um, to kind of like fill what is clearly like a huge gaping hole in his life created by all of the horrible things he's done. Um, so it, it's it's just sort of stands on its own there, too. I mean, that's that's why it is like it is so it is so great you know it's such a great such a great film <clears throat> yeah aj there's this uh that just made me think there's this famous joan didion quote from one of her essays it starts with uh something like we tell ourselves stories in order to live and that just kind of like courses to the entirety <clears throat> of the character of frank sheeran and it in the way it does that is like one of the most exciting movie about the inevitability of death and suffering. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> All manner of death and suffering, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and but I'm glad it, you brought up now, the, uh, the text on the screen, too, because that was an element that I thought was great. And at least from my theater experience, when they start doing that at the beginning of the movie, it sort of becomes, it's like a, it was, at least my theater took it in like a dark comedy kind of way, you know? Like, They'd show you this guy, and he was this big, boastful Italian dude, and they'd be like, da da da, shot in the head 15 times outside of his, you know, house. And people would, like, sort of laugh, because it was just, like, so direct, you know? It was, like, it was sort of absurd how blatantly that was just put on there. And I think at a certain point, that becomes, like, like less, like you said, there's a factual element to it, to tying it to reality, but there's also an element of, like, it just, it never, he does it, like, you know what, seven, eight times, and it's not funny the seventh or eighth time, you know? Like, yeah. and then you see people getting shot, and, like, the movie starts getting darker and darker, and I think it all, it slowly shifts from being, you know, like, a, like a lot of his, Scorsese's other movies where it's not always fun when people die, but there's, like, a lot of them are very entertaining, you know? Like, entertainment is a chief value of them. And in this one, there's certainly a lot of entertainment, but like we said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of real dark... Uh, depressing elements that are really slowly brought to the forefront and I think the text on the screen is a really great indicator of just like the, uh, these people are all dead like they all most of them died in a very harsh way and it's super sad and this time you're not getting around that this time we're not gonna cut it off at you know when they're 40 and leave the fate hanging like we're gonna take it to the logical conclusion and you're gonna see all the ramifications of their choices <coughs> well, and yeah. that's what, I also think that's what a 76 year old Martin Scorsese feels in his real life 
Right. And it's a movie which is, I, I think this is an accurate uh, use of the word meta, reflection of <laughs> his own life and his own career and ch- choices that he's made. To me, uh, part of the reading is uh, this is a bit of a corrective for some of my past work, which maybe yeah. I'm, maybe I'm um, proud of, but maybe which, you know, kind of went too far to the other side of almost glorifying some of this obviously detestable behavior. Well, it was interpreted differently by my fans in a way that I maybe didn't want yeah. to come out, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, well, th- there's a scene in there where they're literally shoving um, taxis into the water. I wrote <laughs> it down, um, which I just thought was fascinating. I mean, Taxi Driver doesn't really... It, taxi Driver is not a, obviously not a mob movie. Um, but, you know... They they look like the taxis that you know um, that Travis Bickle drives in in that movie and um, you know you just wonder about that. I mean maybe that's in the I, don't, I haven't read this memoir of Frank Sheeran's. Maybe that's in there too. But like um, in that context, like you kind of just wonder. Um, it's still Bobby De Niro pushing a taxi into the water. Like that that mean that has to mean something. I'm sure it was not lost on him entirely. Well, you know. Well, it wasn't the guy who tried to assassinate Reagan inspired partially by Travis Bickle. So, I mean, you know, like you, you talked about people misinterpreting the, 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 the message, the messages of his films. And, you know, like, I, I just think that's that's fascinating to kind of see someone work through and work through it while they're also just delivering like a great, compelling story. Like, yeah, I was going to say, well. like, the, the precursor <laughs> to that scene, or maybe the scene right after, but right around there is where the De Niro, where Frank Sheeran and then the the fatter gentlemen are going to go meet with Jimmy Hoffa and the whole point of the scene is to show that Jimmy doesn't drink so they pour vodka into watermelons and eat the watermelon to get drunk around him and I feel like that's just that's just there to be funny and silly you know like there's just yep. it's just a dumb little four minute scene but it's great and everybody laughs and like it's just it moves beyond it, it, it's funny in these little ways and it's just it's just it really does feel like a the wisdom of an older man who has made many 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 films and all these great actors and just really just using his craft and the lessons he's learned over the last 50 years to really bounce beyond all these subjects and, and previous and, and present. And just, it's, it's a masterclass. I feel like in the, in the way he puts it all together. Yep. So, yep. and, and an absolutely devastating film in the end. <laughs> just like, yeah. like I wrote down, like to me, the most ve- devastating line is the, is the one delivered by, uh, by, by Joe Pesci's character, Russell Buff- Buffalino. I hope I'm saying that right. Where he just, he's like, he's sending De Niro off to kill Jimmy Hoffa, and uh, he goes, we did all we could for the man. And it's just like, oh, that, I don't know why that, that and, and that is like, you know, it, that's that sounds like a, a cliche sort of mob type line, and I don't, I just don't know why, but it just, that hit me so hard, um, and I was just in such a somber mood, and that just, I mean, took it up or down whatever direction uh, uh, and, another, and it's just so like it just it just hits you it, it hits you it hits you in a in a deep in a deep place you know you know we're all well all of us adults realize we're mortal i think and um you know <laughs> scorsese's got got me thinking about my own mortality which i mean is uh maybe not what you want but it's like a good thing for for people to do right and good 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 things to think about um and uh if you, you know. watch if you watch the uh the if you watch this on netflix at the end there is a little sort of round table type thing have you guys seen that 
I watched part of it, yeah. <clears throat> Tom, if you watch this round table, you can see Al Pacino playing himself and being all rowdy. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> so anyway, so there's the round table and like, you know, to your point, Andrew, this is, this is the, I'm um, like to all of our points, this is that sort of movie. But when you see the round table and all, it's Marty and Bobby and Al and Joe, I'm getting first names because they're all my friends. And <laughs> they're just cra and they're just talking about the movie. And like, th though they, uh, though they're obviously very contemplative and discussing what it means and why it matters to them. Marty's not morose at all, you know? Like, he's still yeah. a crazy old chatterbox Italian dude. <laughs> like, he's not, yep. he's not lamenting his, his lost years or anything like that. Like, it's just, so it's just, it's great that he made this movie and it does not, it's not like a, I'm going away or I'm dying or I'm done. Like, it's just like a, I'm ready to tell this part of the story, you know? Like, I feel like that's a yep. strong vibe I get is, here's this one. And like you said, Andrew, I, I sort of hope this is the last mob movie he ever does because just, I'm not sure what else there is left to say at this point. Yeah, not for him. <laughs> no, yeah, of yeah. course. Other other humans yeah. have other words, but I think Marty's hopefully yeah. tapped out. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, I still think it's like a, a warning show. I mean, the movie could have just been called, like, Never Get Old. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> die, but, you know, die at a reasonable age, hopefully not violently. Yeah, be... definitely have a good life and then accidentally die in a plane crash at 60. Definitely <laughs> the best way you can live your life. <laughs> <sighs> So let's talk about the logistics of the movie a little bit. What did you guys think about the CGI de-aging? Was it distracting? Did you hate it? But was there a point where you got used to it? How did you ultimately land on that? I honestly didn't really notice it one way or another. I mean, I noticed it, but and I knew, and I had read about it going in, but like, I just didn't. It wasn't that big of a deal either way for me. I guess, you know, like I didn't. I don't know. That's just my two cents, but. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a little distracting. The only thing that was super distracting, and maybe this was different in people for people who saw it in theaters, but at least on Netflix, just Robert De Niro's eyes were very distracting to me. <laughs> yes, they really they were. They were like, just horrifically green sometimes. They were piercing in like, an unnatural way, and you couldn't like, yeah. not, not see it. Kind of looks like an old, weird leprechaun that had a 30-year-old <laughs> face. Sometimes. Well, he's the uh, Irishman, so I mean, you know. Yeah. Though, I don't know, maybe this is because I had, like, so internalized from an early part of the movie what I kind of anticipated or thought that it was about, which is about kind of, like, the imperfections and uh, of memory and how people remember those things and how that's just kind of made up. And so, to me, the actual mechanism for, like, de-aging them fit nicely into this, like, oh, yeah, of course this looks a little absurd, but, you know, people remember things in ways that aren't real. So while I was watching it, it kind of fit that even if, I don't know if that was, but it, it almost, to me, uh, I almost appreciated that it looked weird because it, it just seemed like that that was kind of fitting with the faults, the faultiness of memory. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way at all, but I can certainly see that. Way. You know, and I think I think as long as it didn't distract you and, and didn't take it like you know, it made it more reasonable. Then I think that's a good thing. You know, depending no matter how you look at it. Um, the one thing oh, I will say that that struck me as terrible is every scene where young De Niro is forced to like do something physical, oh, specifically just, when he yeah. gets in that fight outside of the store, <laughs> and 
it's supposed to throw the guy into the glass and then step on his hand. It's just so like the glass breaks before the guy hits it, and then either De Niro forgets to step on his hand or is just slow, like going slow because he wants to be menacing. But he just looks like an old, like bulky man, like trying to move. Like, and it's just, it's very, very uncomfortable. I mean, that, that like, was that just did not look natural at all. That struck me as very, very odd. It seemed like yeah, it seemed like five minute like vaudeville routine or like Gilson <laughs> or Mel Brooks like all right, I'm gonna drive to gangster scene now. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's also a scene where he De Niro steps on the rocks to throw the gun away, and you're just like, that's. It looks like De Niro was like, I'll do one take on these fucking rocks, and then I'm <laughs> never stepping on them again. So we better get him in one because, and he's so gingerly like hopping from rock to rock. And I was also a little nervous. I'm like, dude, this guy's 70 years old. Like, don't let him fall on these rocks. Good for him for even going out there in the first place. You know, that's treacherous. He does his own stunts. <laughs> when I'm 70, I'm not walking on any jagged rocks. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Near water. Yeah. Well, you're no De Niro, though, Steve. So, <laughs> yeah, you you've been trying for the last twenty years. So, yeah, yeah. that's why you're no De Niro. Oh, shots fired at Bobby, <laughs> the un the unawarded Bobby De Niro too. He's received really no uh, award praise for this, which is surprising. I get it. I, 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 I I've flipped a little bit on Pacino and De Niro since the first time. Like I thought it went Pesci, De Niro, Pacino, and then I've flipped to the bottom too. But I still think De Niro has so much to do in this movie, and and it, it's it's a lot. A lot of ways it's a very you know character off to the fringes of most scenes like he's rarely the main character that the camera is yeah. focused on who's doing the action he's usually there with P- pesci he's there with pacino he's just sort of always around and i think de niro does a great job at never at totally understanding that and never showing off never drawing attention like he clearly understands who frank sheeran is or who he wants him to be and i think it's a shame that that's not getting recognized because i think he does a wonderful job it didn't even get a nomination for best actor um but as we said on a previous very very recent previous episode of this podcast uh the oscars are dumb so it doesn't matter um (laughs) also yeah to just play slightly and i don't want to be heretical here since i'm already on the show for that very reason (laughs) and i love rob zero but you know he is playing himself to an extent too, like he always does. Yeah, it's true. Which it's true. is, yeah, of course, he's understated and subtle, but like that's what Romero you know, is yeah, to yeah. a fault sometimes. So you know, Especially when he's standing energy, around yeah. that's, saying that's, that's almost nothing, Niro for sure. Just kind of yeah. like, yeah, that's kind of probably what he does in his normal life. <laughs> <laughs> unlike unlike the great Joe Pesci, who I think we all have to agree is the like the like oh yeah that's why pesci's so goddamn great yeah but uh, in this movie he's great in like a totally different way especially against previous specifically the previous roles he's played in scorsese mob movies um where he's just flies off the handle at you know the drop of a hat and you know he's the guy who's throwing people through plate glass windows and supposed to be stepping on their hands. Maybe Pesci would have gotten it right, Steve. I don't know. Um. (laughs) We'll never know, but I totally agree. He's the best part of the movie. We haven't talked about him yet because this is not a Joe Pesci podcast, but 
He's, it should he's, be. It should, should, <laughs> should too. Maybe when we're done with Al, we'll go back to Pesci. That would be great. It's home alone <laughs> too. Straight to home alone too. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but he's re- he's tremendous in this. Like he, you, you're right. Totally right, Andrew. I think knowing previous Pesci movies, you're sort of waiting for him to have that one scene where he blows up, and he never does. It's never comes. He's not that kind of guy. He, you know, uh, at the end, he's just eating the good. He's drinking the good grape juice with Bobby and having some bread, and then he slowly passes away. Way, you know like but it's just such good Pesci like it's super playing like you said a very specific Joe Pesci type not one that he always played but one we know him mostly for and it's so good to see him sort of come out of semi-retirement as Andrew noted previously on the, one of our other episodes and really just you know knock this role out of the park and, and if anybody if you know him and Al Pacino were both nominated for best supporting actor I feel like they're going to split the vote but as dumb as the Oscars are I would really love it'd be great if Pesci was rewarded because I think he definitely gave the best supporting performance of last year without a doubt yeah I mean I thought it was a total master class um even just like the scene I mean his whoever uh you know whoever on the staff of the movie just decided to have him wear those glasses did a great job yeah, yeah. and those face <laughs> face real nice yeah. but uh <laughs> even just him just you know I hate I hate Panettone so much and the entire time he was eating that bread, I was like, well, that looks pretty good. <laughs> uh, That's great. Uh, uh, yeah, so good he convinced you you like Panettone. Okay. Um, now it's coming out of my closet. I got I got boxes full of Panettone. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I think the ultimate thing I – like the one – like the whole – Hoffa getting murder, murdered sequence like just him like drive you're having De Niro drive him to an airport and then he just stays in the car I mean like that yeah. that's for that, like hours like, for presumably like right. four to five hours yeah. that's like the metaphor for his performance in this entire um in this entire movie which is like I don't need to get out of the car I can I can do this in second gear I mean he's just so just so great and yeah I, like I, I just didn't realize I like missed Joe Pesci and like I really do like, I mean, you know, I, I connect him so strongly with like Goodfellas and and Casino and then Home Alone because I just grew up as a kid watching it. And then uh, My Cousin Vinny, like which are all these just so bombastic roles and they're great. But like um, it's just I mean, what a what a like a parting gift. This is sort of the one of the last great Joe Pesci roles to, to get um, from him. Yeah. Absolutely. And that scene too, the when when Pesci and De Niro go to the airport and De Niro leaves to kill Pacino. <clears throat> if you remember, there's no music from that point when they get on the plane to when he lands on the plane after he does it. So there's about a 20 minute stretch where there's no music. It's just people talking and quiet, and it's just such a great choice. Like it's just it's the tension is building, but there's not even it's not. I wouldn't even call it tension because you know what's going to happen. This is it's very yeah. clear. Almost everybody watching is aware of what's going to go on, either from the dialogue in the movie or from just knowing how you know history goes but there's just it just makes it more sparse and more uncomfortable and more depressing in its own way that this thing is happening and Frank Sheeran either doesn't have the desire or you know or doesn't have the personality to stop it like he's just always subservient to some extent to a more powerful man that's just like his job that's his life and even when one when his one of his best friends says to kill the other one, he pretty much just goes along with it. Like he offers some mild verbal restraint, and then he just shows up and does his job. And like there is, there's a there's a really deep sadness to that that he felt like he had no other way, 
and you feel resigned as the audience. You're just like, well, I guess we're doing this. You know, what, what are we gonna, what are we gonna say? What are we gonna do? Yeah, he, his character feels like a bizarre mix of like a child of divorce and also like uh, like a an SS foot soldier in making. Like he just doesn't question it, which is like one of the most shocking things about the character and one of the most compelling things is just that he, like you said, he just goes along with it. And given Tom's um, great point, which I didn't really put together until now, that we're, this is all from <clears> Frank's <throat> perspective. So even in Frank's sort of retelling of the story, <laughs> he's not making himself look good. He's just, yeah, you know, yeah. that part he seems to be yeah. telling yeah. from his own end relatively straight. He just sort of did it. He probably thinks just doing his job like he did in the military is, is making himself look good, even though it's appalling to normal people. So, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's give this a rating as we do on this podcast. We usually we, – we sort of switch back and forth between whether we're rating Pacino's performance or whether we're reviewing the movie as a whole. <laughs> but let's do whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter. I know my answer. We do it as a Michael, a Sonny, or a Fredo from The Godfather, all three Corleone boys. I think this is a Michael through and through. One final gem from Al Pacino. There might be more movies, but one final definitive gem for sure. The movie and the performance, pretty much everyone in it. I think it's wonderful. I think I'm going to spoil it. It's my favorite movie of 2019. I thought it was tremendous, and I give it a Michael across the board. Yeah, I, I give it a Michael, too. You can't really. It's obviously not a Fredo. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 give it a, I give it a Michael. Sure. I'm going to... I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to give it a Michael, but a Godfather Part 3 Michael. <laughs> you goddamn it, Tom. Always you find some way to needle. You can't, you can't resist. I know you're going you're gonna to cheat and give him like a Connie or something. I don't okay, know. No. <laughs> or a Tom Gotta Hagen. Him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what? I'll take it. Three Michaels. If Tom had to put an asterisk or a caveat on it, that's fine. That's just how it goes. So... I'm no, glad like, we all liked it so much. That makes me happy. It's like Barry Bonds with an asterisk. Now, you know, no one's saying he was a bad hitter, but it's just, you know, he just got an asterisk <laughs> by his name. <laughs> Whatever. If that's how you want to justify yourself, I'm I'm okay with that. You know, yeah. tell myself stories to live. <laughs> <laughs> so that about does it for our discussion of The Irishman. It's great. It's wonderful. It got... Three glowing reviews from your three wonderful hosts of this show. And it's on Netflix in perpetuity. It'll be there for quite a long time. It's a lengthy, lengthy film, but it's tremendous. And if you're a fan of film, if you're just if you want to see a good movie, if you're just if you're a, certainly if you like these three wonderful actors, there's just a million reasons to check it out. Uh, one sitting, two sittings, four sittings, no judgment. It's it's truly great. So please go give it a watch. And if you want more of our Al Pacino content, you can go to inrealdeep.com. You can subscribe to the In Real Deep podcasts. Not every episode is Al Pacino related, but many of our past episodes are. You can find <laughs> all those in the archives at inrealdeep.com. And we're going to try and turn this faucet back on and bring you some great Al Pacino content in the months to come. We got Tom back now. We got him to come on. We got him to talk. I think we're going to all put our heads together and watch some Al movies and finish off this little string. We never, we don't really have an end point in mind, but we're going to keep doing it until we get tired and decide to stop. And I don't think we're at that point just yet. So cross your fingers for more. As long as Al's still around, we can keep going. Right? No, don't even say that. Don't even imply yeah. that there could be a time when he's not. That makes me no. sad. No, he's got to make Danny Collins too first. <laughs> 
We're all waiting with bated breath. <laughs> Danny, Danny Collins to Electric Boogaloo. I'm, yeah, sign me up. I'd be first in line. Maybe Netflix will. Maybe the algorithm is going to be tweaked now because Al did so well. They're going to start including Al content in there. That'd be great. Steve, you should just go start streaming Danny Collins on loop to try and trick the Netflix <laughs> algorithm into making another one. <clears throat> Whatever works, I would do that. If, that, if I knew that was going to help, I would absolutely hit that button. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Tom. It was so fun to talk Irishman. This was the apex of our podcasting careers, but we'll we'll trudge forward anyway because there's always more to say. So there's still Sen of a Woman. I don't know. I don't know if this oh, this episode or Sen of a Woman is the one we've been preparing our whole lives. To, but <laughs> that one, <laughs> probably that one. Oh, and thank you all so much for listening. And as always, we are one nation under Pacino with liberty <laughs> and justice for Al. I forgot that was the closing. <laughs>